everybody, and welcome to Scene by Scene with Josh and Dean. I am Josh Newfeld of joshcomics.com. And I'm Dean Haspiel of deanhaspiel.com. And this is the podcast where we talk about the film American Splendor and celebrate it and break it down scene by scene. And this is episode six, scene six, which starts exactly at the 10 minute mark and ends one minute and 10 seconds later with the real Harvey Picar actually reacting to the previous scene and he is in a studio setting this time he's wearing a different outfit than the last time we saw him and basically in this scene he talks about his history of record collecting and other collecting that he did over his life and sort of the dark path that it can lead one to and how his collecting evolved into also selling records and and just fed into some obsessive compulsive tendencies he had. Mm -hmm. So it's a short scene. It's only about a minute, but it's an important scene for leading into the next scene. So, yeah, I mean, like you said, real Harvey is the real Harvey Picar who pontificates about selling and collecting comic books and jazz records. And at one point he even equates uh, looking for the good stuff to the, that movie, the treasure of the Sierra Madre starring Humphrey Bogart. And he clearly talks about it being obsessive. And, and I think that is inherent to collecting, if you think about it. I mean, so it's not necessarily a judgment. It's just a fact. And, you know, he, he talks about jazz records, but he does say it started with comic books. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if he gave up collecting on comic books. I'm kind of curious, what comics was he collecting? Yeah. Early on, it seems like he, has, he rejects superheroes. But did he ever read superhero comics? Is that something you know? I feel like I remember he did mention that to me, that he used to read Superman and all those kind mm -hmm. of comics back in the 40s, I guess that would have been, in the so when, when, late 40s. So what year would this be he would have been like transitioning from collecting comics to jazz? Well, he said he started collecting jazz records when he was 16 years old. Okay. So that would have been the mid-50s, Okay, so, I guess. So comics back then weren't as superhero-y. They were, they were like romance, cowboy. Right. It was a lot of different uh, kinds of comics. All kinds Horror of comics. comics. But the, the advent of the underground comic hadn't really happened yet because it was in the 60s. Right. So maybe he was just getting tired of that stuff. And as you know, these things cycle out like every five years. You know, it's, it's diehards like us. That continue <laughs> our own obsession. Yeah, you know, I mean, with I, comics. I, I feel like I've known a ton of people who say they grew out of reading comics mm -hmm. at a certain age, and I think it usually tends to happen around the time you discover the opposite sex. Well, you hit puberty, yeah, and you know suddenly the fantasies transition to the you different know, different fantasies, opposite sex, same sex, whatever it is, you right, know, right? Uh, Good point. And, and yeah, so I think that's traditional. So, yeah, he does talk about that, and during the scene, there is a sound of a jazz song being played behind him uh, while the scene hopscotches between the real Harvey and his comic about the same subject as drawn by R. Crumb. Right, so that comic was How I Quit Collecting Records. And put out a comic book with the money I saved. <laughs> yes, thank you, which was from American Splendor number... I think it's number four. Number four, sorry. Published in 1979. That's right. And it was illustrated by Crumb. And he tells a great story in that comic about sort of how his his healthy 
collection urges sort of became more and more unhealthy. And- well, it became an obsession, you know, again, non, non-judgmental, but it can uh, alter the way you, you behave in your life. Yeah. Uh, he, he, at one point, equates it to being like a junkie. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which they do show that panel in this scene, I believe. They oh, that's sh- right. They show that panel sort of expanding and popping almost like that's it, right. it just was too much. And I mean, even to the point where he would forfeit eating for buying rare items, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and trying to figure that out and negotiate that every week. And there's a funny little anecdote where he talks about how he ended up at a, a university radio show. That's right. With a bunch of records and he was hanging out with the DJ and noticed a bunch a bunch of records that were really rare that he didn't have. And he actually considered stealing them. From and he would call them, and, and the only time I ever heard this was from a Harvey Pekar comic, was he he calls those records sides. Sides, yeah. yeah. I love it. That's the uh, classic term. Yep. So, yeah, in the story, he actually takes these records and he creates, he concocts this whole crazy plan where he's going to take the records when his friend isn't paying attention and he brings them to this bathroom down the hall and he hides them in the bathroom and he makes sure that the door won't lock again behind him and he puts them in like a toilet paper box it's it's like a scene from the godfather part one you know with the gun and he goes through this whole thing and he goes back to the recording room and he hangs out with his friend and then he he leaves and he goes back to the bathroom to get the records that he had he had figured out this whole plan and the bathroom door is locked even though he had made sure that it would not lock behind him. Of course, it is locked, so he's unable to get in and steal the records. It's and, funny because, uh, <laughs> like, before that happens, before he comes to the locked door and can't steal the records, I started thinking, Harvey, <laughs> like, when you steal these records, how are you going to justify this in your own story? Then it occurred to me, oh, there's no way he's going to steal it. In fact, it, it all backfires on him. It, it backfires, but it's a great illustration of sort of how this – Health, as he put it, healthy collecting desire sort of warps and twists and gets to be the point where you start collecting things for the value of the collection or for completion sake rather than because you actually love the things that you're collecting anymore. Mm-hmm. And he talks about how he ran out of space in his apartment to put them mm-hmm. and how he would get records to fill some completest part of him, but then would never actually listen to the records. Or he would start buying records that he didn't even like because he thought he could sell them again later, um, which of course is how the previous scene ends where he is sort of buying and selling records inside of the hallways of the hospital, including buying records that he doesn't care about at all. And I know a lot of those those people growing up that would just basically create an industry out of their own collecting Mm -hmm. because at some point and this has started happening to me recently is you're looking at all your stuff and you're like when was the last time i actually pulled it off the shelf Mm -hmm. and some things have been like 20 years i've been they've been seeing it It doesn't mean that they don't have value Mm -hmm. uh, and i don't mean monetary value but emotional value or like you know the value of the work you know but he starts to, and we, we'll, we'll transition in talking about that in a second. But the, the end of the comic, the whole point is that at some point he realizes he needs to give up. Mm-hmm. And he does it in one day. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how he, that's possible. He like flips a switch in his brain and just decides, okay, I'm not going to care about this anymore, which is not everybody can do that. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, I haven't been able to do that. Not really. And he even talks about how, you know, now he has more money besides paying for food and rent, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, and ultimately where does it lead to? To him publishing American Splendor. The comic. Yeah. The money that he saved, as it says in the title. That's right. From not collecting stuff anymore, now could go towards self-publishing a comic and becoming a creator that someone else would collect rather than 
and a recipient of culture. He is now a creator of culture. Right. And so, like, what's your relationship with collecting? Oh, man. I, I mean, I, I feel like I relate to his story very closely. Mm. I think I started collecting stamps, maybe, was the first thing I started collecting. And I, I think did that, that for a minute. Yeah. Because that was something that I think somebody told me to do. And then baseball that, that's cards. That's so funny. Yeah. My mom told me, my mom showed me, I think she gave me her old stamp collection, mm. which was a great start. And I was like, I, I mean, stamps are gorgeous. They're amazing to look beautiful. at. They're, they're just beautiful little engraved illustrations. So there's a relationship to the fact that we were both artists and that, mm. you know, to my mother's an artist as well. And, uh, so, and it was something that she and I could share, you know, mm -hmm. for a few minutes and, but I, yeah, I, I took it on. I was like, okay, you collected stamps and you're telling me this is a thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to do this. And, mm -hmm. and she would buy me stamps or, you know, come back from someplace and bring me some stamps and I'd put them in my little book. And I did that for quite a while for probably do you, do you feel five, like, 10 years. Do you feel like that she was like perpetuating her collection through her child or was it a, a way for y'all to relate to each other? Like, what was your relationship with your mother growing up? Do you think that that, what is collecting about sometimes, do you think? Well, I mean, my mother definitely has issues with holding on to things and, and like, uh, I'm not going to say hoarding because that's like a serious psychological condition, but mm. she does, her house tends to be quite filled with stuff. And a lot of it is because she's an artist and she uses the material of real life mm. and um, all sorts of stuff like that in her work, but it is also hard for, I think she would agree that it's hard for her to just let go of things. She loves all sorts of things. She loves old toys and old records and old books and just name it. And, and she has like a mini collection of some sort. But with that in mind, cause I haven't really thought about this until just now. And this happens in our conversations because my father is a collector and mm -hmm. we'll get into that later. Yeah. But I do feel like part of what he was doing was trying to pass the baton as it were and hope that you too, yeah. in this case, his son, mm -hmm. would also be equally obsessed with the very things that he loves. Yeah. So he, we could relate to each other yeah. in some way. I and I'm wondering I, if that's... I think my mom was doing the same thing, for sure. Okay. And it might have been in each of our parents' cases that they had difficulty relating to us on other levels. And that this is a way to just... Which is natural. And, you know, a shared interest. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, like baseball or, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever. But the the odd thing is instead of rejecting the idea of collecting is that you start to create your own obsessions as you break away from the parent. Right. You know, and then so what was, where did you take stamp collecting? Yeah, so then I could do them all simultaneously. So I then got into sports card collecting. Mm -hmm. At first I was collecting baseball cards and hockey cards because I lived in Canada for a mm -hmm. while. And then I went back to really getting into baseball cards. Mm -hmm. And I I had, you know... It tops 1978 entire years collection or I would buy all the packs of, of gum and have all the doubles and I would Same throw here. those out. I remember you did a comic once about the Reggie Jackson card. Yeah, that I did was a like, comic it, about Reggie Jackson. Your, your treasure of Sierra Madre. Oh my God. It was, to get that card. And I remember at like me and my brother, you know, we, we would have to like own, a, you know, parts of the cards. Whereas I would have Yankees, he would get Mets. You know? oh, okay. So I never had any so you Mets. Each had your your side, <laughs> and would what, you trade? Like if you got a good Mets card and he got a good Yankee, I'm card, sure he them? would hold cards hostage mm -hmm. and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And I do remember flipping cards. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yes. 
That that was weird to me because I kept them as a collector's item, right? And flipping them meant that they would get damaged, and that was like an anathema to me. You but know? do you remember flipping so that if you didn't get a certain amount, that they would take your card away? Yeah, and, yeah. and obviously you had I the same like chance. That. It's awful. <laughs> I did not like that. So at all. stressful, <laughs> right? Yeah, you know? I mean, and I, I liked the, the the upside of it was great. The da- the the downside not good awful. at all. Yeah, I remember one time an upstairs neighbor had all these comics that i wanted and i had the the full frank miller run or at least up to date of the daredevils mm-hmm. and i just got into this other com- i can't even remember tell you what it was and i remember trading like 30 issues of frank miller daredevils before it was even considered collector's items this really? is from the newsstands yeah and i came downstairs and i got awfully depressed and i'm sitting there going I just, I love my comics. What yeah. happened to my comics? Yeah. Because you become familiar with them. You know, that they're, yes. they're, they're part of your soul in some way. You know, and I went back and, and I I begged them to tr- retrade the comics back. Really? Yeah. And there was they no did physical it. intimidation no, no, involved? Well, so I don't maybe remember. Maybe a little bit. I, I blacked out. I blacked <laughs> I out. I see. <laughs> I see. Well, that's good. I'm glad it worked out for you. But yeah, I mean, I've been there in in every way that Harvey talks about in this scene in the movie and in the source material uh I've gone down all those dark paths I've also gone into the you know selling stuff mm-hmm. um I, eBay was bad for me mm-hmm. at a time when I would start seeing stuff around or taking stuff of mine that I knew had value and selling it and then later regretting it just kind of sure. the same way you did but did you sell it to for other collectors items or to do other things with your life it's like hard to travel. know sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I, I use the money that I have made on eBay for life things and, and uh, other things maybe that I like or just to, if I have money gathering in a PayPal account, I'll use that when I go play basketball, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's like it it, it, it turns around and, and becomes like a, a slush fund or, mm-hmm. of a sort. But I definitely, you know, recognize the unhealthiness of it and the sort of obsessive quality where I'll spend more time like, you know, trying to either... Um, collect something or sell something like crafting the perfect ebay auction item then i would have earned that amount of money in Mm. an hour of of work of drawing Mm. or something so it's like it satisfies some other sort part of your brain you Mm -hmm. know that is not a healthy part and i think that's the part that i relate to in this scene but just to finish the discussion of the scene as well yeah i had another note as well i want to say yeah i i was Wondering what you thought of the, they've now introduced, this is the second time we've seen Harvey in this fake studio setting. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time he was, it was the first time we met him and we sort of, he, he introduces this concept of himself as the narrator of his own story and mm-hmm. a character in his story. And now they've dressed the set differently. They've dressed it like an actual garage sale or something. You know, there's like an old basketball sitting there, some old trophies, and there's some extras sort of sitting around as if it is a garage sale. And poking through things and Harvey's in a lawn chair and and he's wearing a beanie and a different outfit. I, I was gonna I meant I wrote that down. What did you make of all that? I thought it was odd. I thought, well, why is he wearing a hat? Yeah. It, was it a beanie or a winter hat? Like yeah. what was it? You know? And because he has a history with cancer, mm. I almost wondered if there was a flare up or something during the shooting. That's what uh-huh. it made me think. Oh you interesting. know, knowing him personally. Yeah. Wondering It that- is a little bit of a jarring thing because we just had met him like five minutes earlier mm-hmm. and sort of seen, okay, this is the real Harvey Picard. And then he's wearing this hat and it's almost like, is that the same guy? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is a little bit, it was a little bit of an odd choice. And I mean, I I don't mind the, the limbo that we sometimes enter to see the real yeah. Harvey, 
but it does that scene for some reason the way it was staged felt a little corny and forced to mm-hmm. be honest to me but again whatever that was the that's it's, it's almost like for. they're they're creating these new narratives you know it's like it Originally, that documentary thing was outside of the movie to say, this is the documentary footage. This mm-hmm. is the real Harvey. We're mm-hmm. playing this straight with a little bit of cutesiness with the all white exteriors. But now it's sort of like, oh, what's going to happen the next time we see Harvey in this scene? Is it going to be dressed differently and with different extras hanging around? And now it's like there's these two parallel stories going on. One of the real Harvey in this sort of semi-fictionalized setting. And then there's the Paul Giamatti Harvey you know, knowing having seen the the movie many times, I'm now realizing that it's a borderless room. There's no right. real doors, no real walls. Mm-hmm. It's it's a white vacuum of you a space. You mentioned that before that it was like the gutter of a comic book. It's like which the gutter I of a comic book. Really cool. But also, if you think about it later on, when he's asking who's the real Harvey, is the same kind of thing happens. So I think maybe it's preparing you mm. for that really important moment later on. It's like almost like a foreshadowing that, that the spatial relationship of that. Yeah. You know, the thing I also noticed real quick, he's so happy. Yes. He, he's genuinely. He seems genuinely happy and interested also in, in another person in a way that I rarely saw him. Yeah. Like really relaxed and happy. So in a way, maybe it's his happy place, you know, comics and jazz records. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, that's was his favorite stuff. So. You know? talking about the jazz record you mentioned it the the record that's playing mm. in the background is on the sunny side of the street by lester young mm. which i assume is probably one of his favorite or early jazz records that he collected but in, in the middle of the scene when things start to shift as he starts to talk about this collection this collecting impulse sort of mm-hmm. going into a darker place he they actually Mm. frame a, a different scene from him from the side with like less lighting darker lighting and him pulling the record scratching off, scratching the yeah, record. scratching and stopping the yeah. record so that was an interesting yeah again they've added another sort of dramatic context to these non-dramatic right documentary moments right, right. now I, I that was an interesting thing again maybe a little forced mm-hmm but, you know, in the context of just seeing the movie un- unfurl, you know, unfold. Yeah. You know, we're, we're picking it apart scene by scene. But, like, you know, you don't notice it as much as just moving the story along. You yeah. know, but in, in ways with these little milestone markers, you know. Mm-hmm. In this case, his his obsession stops, you know, instantly. Right. Which in the comic, it did in yeah. one day. So maybe it was a kind of a metaphorical, you know, sound, you know, to to match. Right. But in the movie, we're not at that point yet, right? In the movie, he's still because we're going to be going into a scene not not to start spoilers, but the next scene is going to be a continuation of of sort of the full bore collector Harvey. Right. So we're not at that moment yet where he's sort of figured out how to transfer this obsessive compulsiveness that he has from being Mm -hmm. a collector to Mm -hmm. becoming a creator. Yeah. So, um, was there anything else you wanted to talk about about with collecting and? and uh... Well, I mean, for me, I, I I have the same problem as you and Harvey mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. I mean, I grew up in a household where my father was a collector, uh, is a collector. My father knew Marilyn Monroe the last eight years of her life, befriended her, and is is kind of famous for that. Has written a few books. He's been on television a lot. He's kind of considered the uh, the authority and expert on Marilyn Monroe. And because of that, he obviously collected a lot of her stuff, including other kind of uh, that Hollywood era of the 1950s and whatnot. And he's written articles, you know, for magazines and as well. 
So, I mean, that's what I grew up around was that kind of obsession, I guess is a word, but without a negative connotation because he collected her in a respectful way, you mm-hmm. know? He kind of thought of himself as protecting her legacy, right? Yes. With the stuff that he collected. Absolutely. Absolutely. He so, wasn't using it and has never really used it to exploit her. No. His relationship with no. her in a, in a sort of a prurient way. I yeah, my say. father honors her. And, and in that way, so I grew up in a household like... You know, with, with the, an invisible woman in a way, mm-hmm. you know. So you were seeing that and resenting that and kind of feeling like this, looking at it from the outside, this is not healthy. This is not uh, this is not the type of relationship I would like my to have with my father who's who's like obsessed with this other right. well, dead I'm, person. So when I said to you earlier, like about your mother, like, you know, was that a way to relate to you? I think for my father, it was a way to get me into this legacy of mm-hmm. someone's life so that he can express himself that way, yeah. you know, because he does use Marilyn as, as a talking point, you mm-hmm. know, to relate to the world and to people. So in my rejection of that, comic books, mm-hmm. you know, uh, starting off with baseball cards as well, you know, like we discussed, and then uh, quickly transitioned to, to comic books. And early on, I realized that this was a vocation for me, that this is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it was the first thing I ever wanted to ape, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do it like them or whatever, or, or try to figure it out. In fact, uh, the newsstand that I would go to every week, which was across the street from my house, is 79th Street and Broadway. It wasn't until recently that I realized I knew there was a church behind the newsstand, <laughs> but I made the connection that comics was my religion. Yeah, the newsstand was your church. Yes, yeah. the newsstand was my church with the comic books. Yeah, so basically I think what, you know, unfortunately has happened is that it has grown the collection in my house and it's really difficult to get rid of any of it because everything does have, again, besides a monetary value, has personal value, a historical value, a lot of things that were were made you can't find anymore, mm-hmm. you know, that's part of collecting. So, yeah, I mean, I think... One difference between us I always felt was like I identified myself as a comic collector and I put all my comics in plastic bags and I ordered them in my in my comic boxes mm-hmm. alphabetically and I – as you remember, I did a comic once about how I recorded like my grades for every comic that I read and then like I would tally them up mm-hmm. like on a scale of one to five and thus yeah. I would know what my favorite comics were and I had this whole system. You and did that with friends too. I, well, yeah. <laughs> Um, which I think is very interesting. Very, yeah. yeah like <laughs> My created, therapists have felt that too. You created a Delaney <laughs> card out of people. <laughs> um, but uh, even though I was making comics and I also wanted to work in the industry and I have ended up working in the industry like you, I, I felt like okay to balance these two sides. There was the There was the creator side of me and then there was still like this collector side of me. And I always felt that you never wanted to own that that label as a oh, collector. collector. Yeah. Probably Even could... though if one goes into your house and sees the, what, like 3,000 DVDs that you have in there, all organized and stacked and... It's research, Josh. Yeah, exactly. We can always rationalize these things. Yes. I, I guess I didn't want to identify it as it because of my father, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and not that I have, I hate my dad or anything, but more because you, you want to be separate. your own person. You don't want to be yeah. Yeah, your parent. But also, I think the one time you admitted that you had collector's impulses was that you acknowledged to me that you tried to get the entire run of Fantastic Four and you 
almost gotten it right like all the way down yes. to issue number one yeah i mean I'm, I'm probably missing about 30 issues worth of fantastic fours and and had it been die hard i would have had them by now yeah. you know i mean that's not that hard but when you're at conventions like when you're at a at, you know at a wizard convention mm. representing yourself and mm. selling billy dogma and all the other stuff that you do do you sometimes wander over into the dealer rooms and start sifting through the old comics or? i love there's nothing greater than an old comic book yeah that enough said. I mean, yeah. honestly, and it doesn't matter if it's valuable, or if it's if you pay a lot, if you don't pay a lot. It's just the feel of them, the nostalgia factor, the smell, the all excitement, of those things. Of, of, yeah. especially earlier comics when you would get a whole story in one issue. Mm-hmm. It wasn't to be continued necessarily. That's a quaint idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and there's and. And, you know, and comics traditionally throws everything and the kitchen sink against the wall. So it's always fun to pick up a, an old comic right, book. Right. Because, the, yeah, they were trying everything in those days. There was no rules. There was no, uh, right. you know, Bible about how they had to tell a story. That's right. I'm just trying to feel, figure out a connection between, like, you know, again, like Harvey's collecting and then creating comics. And, you know, one thing led to another. But I think at that point, maybe he just started collecting stories that he could tell. Oh. Observing I people. See what you do there. You know? <laughs> so that yeah. was his next obsession. I mean, I, was people. I think you know the dark secret of anybody in the comics industry, any creator, is that they were at one time a nerd like mm-hmm. everyone else, and they collected comics and they collected figures and pods and cards and all these other stuff. And it's like the dark thing that nobody wants to admit, but it's, it's back there for all mm-hmm. of us. And, Absolutely. uh, you know, let's, except for me, I, I, except for you, I, never, never no. collected anything. That's right. Just, no, no, I collected. I'm not, I've never been a nerd. I'm, oh no, I'm never too tough. Yeah. For that too much too macho and <laughs> masculine. Um, all right. Well, till next time you can check us out at the scene by scene podcast.com and scene by scene on Facebook, mm-hmm. our Facebook group. Um, we will be back next time to talk about episode seven of Scene by Scene with Josh and Dean. Mm-hmm.